0: Section 50 of Tales from Dickens. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Maria Drisc. Tales from Dickens by Halle Ermini Rivers. Our mutual friend. The end of the story. While these things were happening at Mister Boffin's house. Eugene Rayburn, with Headstone the schoolmaster watching him like a hawk, had never left off trying to find where Lizzie Hexham had gone. At length, through the troublesome child of the little doll's dressmaker, he learned the name of the village where she was living, and went at once to see her. Headstone followed close behind him, and when, from his hiding place, he saw how glad Lizzie was to see the lawyer, he went quite mad with jealousy and hate, and that moment he determined to kill Rayburn it happened that rug riderhood was then working on the river that flowed past the village where he tended a lock the schoolmaster in order to turn suspicion from himself in case any one should see him when he did this wicked deed observing carefully how riderhood was dressed got himself clothes exactly like the lock tenders even to a red handkerchief tied around his neck in this guise with murder in his heart he lay in wait along the riverside till rayburn passed one evening just after he had bade good-night to lizzie hexam The schoolmaster crept up close behind the lawyer and struck him a fearful, crashing blow on the head with a club. Rayburn grappled with him, but Headstone struck again and again with the bloody weapon, and still again as the other lay prostrate at his feet, and dragging the body to the bank threw it into the river. Then he fled. Lizzie Hexham had not yet turned homeward from the riverside. She heard through the night the sound of the blows, the faint moan and the splash, she ran to the spot, saw the trampled grass, and, looking across the water, saw a bloody face drifting away. She ran to launch a boat, and rowed with all her strength to overtake it. But for her dreadful life on the river, with her father, she could not have found the drowning man in the darkness. But she did, and then she saw it was the man she loved. One terrible cry she uttered, then rowed with desperate strokes to the shore, and with superhuman strength carried him to a nearby inn. Rayburn was not dead, but was dreadfully disfigured. For many days he hovered between life and death. Jenny Wren, the doll's dressmaker, came, and she and Lizzie nursed him. As soon as he could speak, he made them understand that before he died, he wanted Lizzie to marry him. A minister was sent for, and with him came John Rokesmith and Bella. So the sick man was married to Lizzie, and from that hour he began to get better, so before long they knew that he would recover. Meanwhile, not waiting to see the result of his murderous attack, Headstone had fled down the river bank to the hut where Riderhood lived, and there the villainous lock tender let him rest and sleep. As the schoolmaster tossed in his guilty slumber, Riderhood noted that his clothes were like his own. He unbuttoned the sleeping man's jacket, saw the red handkerchief, and, having heard from a passing boatman of the attempted murder, he guessed that Headstone had done it, and saw how he had plotted to lay the crime on him. When the schoolmaster went away riderhood followed him watched him change clothes in the bushes and rescued the bloody garments the other threw away with these in his hands he faced the schoolmaster one day in his classroom and made him promise under threat of exposure to come that night to the hut by the lock headstone was afraid to disobey when he came riderhood told him he must give him money at once or he would follow him till he did headstone refused and as the other had threatened when he started back to London, he found the lock tender by his side. He returned to the hut, and the other did the same. He started again, and again the other walked beside him. Then Headstone, turning suddenly, caught Riderhood around the waist, and dragged him to the edge of the lock. "'Let go,' said Riderhood. "'You can't drown me.' "'I can,' panted Headstone, "'and I can drown myself. "'I'll hold you living, and I'll hold you dead. "'Come down.' Riderhood went over backward into the water, and the schoolmaster upon him. When they found them, long afterward, Riderhood's body was girdled still with the schoolmaster's arms, and they held him tight. This was the awful end of the two wicked men whom fate had brought into Lizzie's life. All this time, of course, Bella had been believing her husband to be very poor. At first he had intended to tell her who he was on the day they were married, but he said to himself, no she's so unselfish and contented i can't afford to be rich yet so he pretended to get a position in the city at small wages then after a few months he thought it over again and he said to himself she's such a cheerful little housewife that i can't afford to be rich yet and at last a little baby was born to bella and then they were so happy that he said she's so much sweeter than she ever was that i can't afford to be rich just yet but meantime bella was imagining that mr boffin was a cruel old miser and mr boffin didn't like this so john agreed that he would tell her all about it but first he got bella to describe exactly the kind of house she would like if they were very very rich and when she told him he and mr boffin had the boffin mansion fixed over in just the way she had said with a nursery with rainbow-colored walls and flowers on the staircase, and even a little room full of live birds, and a jewel-box full of jewels on the dressing-table. Fate, however, had arranged even a greater trial of Bella's love for him than all the others. As they walked together on the street one day, they came face to face with the man who had been in the police office on the night the body, which everyone believed to be John Harmon's, had lain there, he had seen the entrance of the agitated stranger and had helped the police in their later vain search for Rokesmith. Now he at once recognised Bella's husband as that man who the police believed had probably committed the murder. Rokesmith knew the man had recognised him, and when they got home he told Bella that he was accused of killing the man the Harmon will have bidden her marry. But nothing now could shake her faith in him. How dare they! she cried indignantly. My beloved husband! he caught her in his arms at that, and while he held her thus the officers entered to arrest him. Rokesmith found the matter very easy to explain to the satisfaction of the police, but he told Bella nothing as yet, and, trusting and believing in him, absolutely, she waited in great wonder. Next day he told her he had a new position, and that now they must live in the city where he had taken a furnished house for them. They drove together to see it, strangely enough it seemed to be in the same street as mr boffin's house and stranger yet the coach stopped at mr boffin's own door her husband put his arm around her and drew her in and she saw that everything was covered with flowers as he led her on she exclaimed in astonishment to see the little room full of birds just as she had wished suddenly her husband opened a door and there was mr boffin beaming and mrs boffin shedding tears of joy and folding her to her breast as she said my deary, 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 wife of John and mother of his little child, my loving, loving, bright, bright, pretty, pretty, welcome to your house and home, my deary. Then, of course, the whole story came out, the mystery was solved, and she knew that John Rokesmith was the true John Harmon, and that her husband was really the man the Harmon will had picked out for her to marry. In the splendid Boffin house, they lived happily for many years, surrounded by Bella's children and they were never so happy as when they welcomed Eugene Rayburn with Lizzie, his wife, or Jenny Wren, the little doll's dressmaker. End of section 50